DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults is an adaptation of the Catholic Catechism. It serves as a resource for those who wish to become acquainted with Catholicism. It is an invitation for all the faithful to continue growing in the understanding of Jesus Christ and His saving love for all people. The United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Chapter 2, God Comes to Meet Us God Reveals His Holy Name Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. Leading the flock across the desert, he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in fire flaming out of a bush. As Moses looked on, he was surprised to see that the bush though on fire, was not consumed. So he decided, I must go over to look at this remarkable sight to see why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw him coming over to look at the sight more closely, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses answered, Here I am. God said, Come no nearer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have truly noted that the Egyptians are oppressing them. Come now, I will send you to Pharaoh to lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and lead the Israelites out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you, and this shall be your proof that it is I who have sent you. When you bring my people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. But Moses said to God, When I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. If they ask me, what is his name, what am I to tell them? God replied, I am who am. Then he added, this is what you shall tell the Israelites. I am sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is my title for all generations. But Moses said to the Lord, If you please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor recently, nor now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gives one man the gift of speech and no such gift to another? Is it not I, the Lord? Go then. It is I who will assist you in speaking 
and will teach you what you are to say. Yet Moses persisted. If you please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord relented. Have you not your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know that he is an eloquent speaker. He shall speak to the people for you. He shall be your spokesman. I will assist both you and him and teach the two of you both what you are to do. The Old Testament is filled with numerous occasions where God reveals himself such as he does to Moses in this passage from Exodus. The event of God's self-disclosure to Moses at the burning bush is an excellent introduction to the mystery of God's revelatory acts, a truth of our faith that is the focus of this chapter. Welcome, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. We are in Chapter 2 of the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, and it's titled, it's really quite wonderful, God Comes to Meet Us. God comes to meet us. Why would the Creator care about us little tiny beings on this planet? It's a great question. In the last chapter, we talked about this way that we are made that leads us to, to look for God, to understand that there perhaps might be a God. And as we said, as we discussed that chapter, we might think of God as someone very far away, some powerful, magnificent being perhaps, but someone that doesn't have much to do with me, and I feel very small in, in comparison to God. And so we begin now to see that even though we're small, and that's true, God somehow wants to be involved in our lives in a very personal way, that God does come to meet us, God reaches out to us. So we're not left simply wondering, not just searching, but that there is a response, you might say, to our, our searching, or really an initiative that reaches out to us even before our searching begins. There are ways we can know him. Pope Benedict XVI has spoken quite eloquently about faith and reason, that we can know him in some ways. And I think that's what we were talking about previously. That has really to do with reason. We can draw some conclusions from from the created world, we can draw some conclusions from the way that we have been created ourselves and reasonably come to a, a sense that there is a God, that God is creating the world in some order. But through faith in the revelation that God himself offers, we begin then to know God really and beyond speculation. But the gift of, of knowing God and of entering into a relationship with God, which God himself offers. Revelation. That's what Moses experienced. Help us to understand the importance of revelation in its mysterious aspects. Well, it's absolutely important in, in the life of faith. We can only know so much ourselves, and even the smartest of us is still affected by original sin and by the effects of our own sin. And so as brilliant as we may be, we can't see much. <laughs> we may see and know a lot and may be able to conclude or, or figure out a lot. But revelation is God's self-expression, God's opening up something about himself for us that is too far for us to see or too high for us to, uh, to reach. God, in a sense, bends down, in, intrudes in a beautiful way into our own circumstances so that in our, even with our limitations, we are able to have a valid 
not only understanding of God, but a, an experience of God, ultimately a, a meeting of God. We want to try to figure it all out. Are we trying to analyze it too much? Perhaps. You're talking there about God's revelation in Scripture, and so there's a, a desire to understand it more. And we look at it from a modern perspective, how else could we, which tends to give our look for a, a kind of a scientific or mechanical explanation for almost everything. And the revelation of God is, is very personal. It's not a revelation about a lot of stuff. It's God is revealing the truth, and ultimately we see the fullness of revelation is person, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. And, and God speaks his eternal word, speaking the same word always in, in revelation, but we uh, see and, and understand it uh, finally, clearly, uh, in, uh, in the coming of Jesus. So all of these other events that are part of the part of what we call revelation, uh, ways in which we recognize God acting in human history. We look at, at all of those in the light of the coming of Jesus Christ and in what we so completely about God and about God's desires for us, God's plan for us uh, in Jesus. It's really quite a, a wonderful thing to do, I think, sometimes when we look back at how he prepared man to fully know him in the person of Jesus Christ. He prepared us. He's broken through to the patriarchs, to the prophets, to that moment when he would even reveal himself to a young girl in Nazareth. It says a lot about the loving nature of fatherhood. It does, and it says so much about God's desire, God's intention to meet us where we are. And as you were saying, the coming of Jesus is the high point, the fulfillment of, of revelation, and God setting the stage for that over so many uh, generations in, in so many different circumstances. But now that we know Jesus and, and know uh, about his presence, know of the Paschal mystery, we can look back at those elements of revelation, not as little separate happenings or, or separate little pieces, or in a sense, God maybe having another thought or a better thought, you know, and doing things, mm-hmm. saying one more thing, but that it really was all preparing us, leading us, and, and still does all lead us to a fuller understanding of God's love for us in, in Jesus Christ. In Chapter 2 of the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, it helps us to understand what revelation is. And it does have many different aspects, doesn't it? It does, but as the text here reminds us, revelation is the self-disclosure of the living God. God shows himself to us in events, sometimes in a written word, Sometimes those events are, are described in words that, that we consider now part of Revelation. As I mentioned before, ultimately God's revelation is fulfilled in the person, Jesus Christ, who we call the incarnate word or God's, God's living word. In a sense, Jesus is what God was saying all along, but it was impossible for us to know the second person of the Blessed Trinity until he was revealed to us in, in, in his humanity in the incarnation. So all of that self-disclosure of of God as we look back, that's all part of the whole sweep of what we would call revelation, comes to its fulfillment in Christ. A meditation found in the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults. Jesus Christ is the definitive revelation of God. Christ, the Son of God made man, is the Father's one perfect and unsurpassable word. In him he has said everything. There will be no other word than this one. St. John of the Cross, among others, commented strikingly, 
in the book of Hebrews. In giving us his Son, his only word, for he possesses no other, he spoke everything to us at once in this sole word, and he has no more to say. Because what he spoke before to the prophets and parts, he has now spoken all at once by giving us the all who is his Son. Any person questioning God or desiring some vision or revelation would be guilty not only of foolish behavior, but also of offending him by not fixing his eyes entirely upon Christ and by living with the desire for some other novelty. So how is the Catholic in particular, who is familiar with private revelation, to hold those type of occurrences? You know, for example, when the Blessed Virgin Mary was said to appear to the children at Fatima or to little Bernadette and Lourdes. The Church has always understood that there can be what we might today call private revelation, as you describe. Those are judged to be authentic revelations, even though private, if they are consistent with uh, what we might call the public revelation that the church accepts and embraces. Very often they might amplify something that has been revealed to us as in the totality of revelation, but it uh, makes it possible for sometimes a small group, sometimes a very large group uh, in, in the church to, to find a way into one of the mysteries of revelation and be able to embrace it in a more personal way. Mm. And I'm sure that in the course of coming episodes, we'll be undertaking those type of discussions and breaking up into the nuances between all those different revelatory acts. But in this particular chapter, it's enough that God wants to be revealed. He wants us to know him. That's kind of the underlying discussion that we've had. Sure. Again, that's God's initiative. You know, and he's, what we said in the first chapter was that he's created us in a way so that we're disposed to be able to receive the revelation mm-hmm. when it comes. So that it's, it's not just going over our heads or, or it's not meant only for that God's designed us so that he can be known by us. And then he goes out of his way, we might say, to, to make himself known. How we need that today in particular, and I, I love that in chapter two, it brings us the thought-provoking conversation of the gospel and the culture and how it can be lived out, even though in today's culture, quite a challenge. It is a culture pretty coarse sometimes and very seductive. And as I said, we've had a couple centuries now, at least, of being really overwhelmed almost with a scientific approach to things. So that some of the ways that we might normally have been disposed uh, to receive revelation in, in a previous age, a lot of those, uh, some of that's been skewed or, or even kind of uh, covered over by the culture. And yet, we know that there are people who are genuinely seeking God. And so it is the privilege and the responsibility of the church of those of us who have come to know God through his revelation in Jesus Christ, to be open to share that with others. Our recent Holy Fathers have stated this in many ways so beautifully, to remind us that even though the culture might not always be so hospitable to, to revelation, 
that's not an excuse or a reason for us to run away from the culture or to just circle the wagons and say, well, we're going to hang on to our faith in spite of all that's going on around us. We want to hang on to it, of course, and have it grow by God's grace. But the, the challenges are also opportunities for us uh, to say, yes, but even in this culture, God is offering the revelation of his love in Jesus Christ. He's offering it particularly through the church and, and through her members, through the way that we speak, but particularly the way we live. And so we want to, in some ways, be even more open and generous in revealing what has been revealed to us. Mm. That's at the heart of evangelization then, isn't it? It really is, right. So, you know, God got the ball rolling in, in Revelation, if we want to put it kind of crudely. But then he invites us, who are created in his image and likeness, who have this commission now from Jesus Christ in the church to, to share the light of the gospel with others so that this revelation can go on. Even though it has come to its definitive climax in Jesus Christ, not everybody has come to know him yet. Not everybody yet understands how much God loves us and, and wants us to have life in him through Jesus. And so we get to share that good news in a fresh way in our time and place. It's a great privilege. It, it's a tremendous privilege. And when you think about when we're out and we're speaking about God to others, I mean, in particular, the, our relationship with Jesus Christ and how we've come to know him, it really is a gift to have the church help us to be able to answer all the questions. Because when you just think about it, all of the questions, thats it's huge. How can we, little creatures that we are, and I speak for myself in particular, have all the answers? And yet I can turn to the church when those times I'm not sure, or even the times when I'm challenged and I struggle. Of course, and that's the point of something like the catechism, not to sort of express that the church has all the answers or the simple answers. That's kind of what that sounds like. But that in the life of the church over all these centuries, we have experienced both the blessings and the challenges of life in this world following Jesus Christ. There's some new challenges in particulars in the 21st century, but you know, not so much new, different way that it happens. So there is within the treasury of the church's teaching and experience something that can be brought to our current experience, not as a, a simplistic answer, but as revelation of God's plan for us. And I'm even conscious, you know, as, as we're having this conversation now, we kind of assume that, as we know to be the case, that the revelation is about something really good and beautiful and positive, and, and perhaps not everybody would know that. And, mm-hmm. and so, in a sense, we have to come back to the beginning and say that what God has been revealing to us from the beginning and continues to reveal uh, to us in the church is how much he loves us Mm -hmm. and how much he desires for us to have life and to have life abundantly. Mm -hmm. How much he has loved us uh, even to the point of giving us his only son who was willing to lay down his life so that that we can have life with our sins forgiven. So that's really the, the heart of Revelation. Again, not just some generic knowledge about God, but a very personal care that God has had for us from the very beginning, that even though we have, in small ways and in big ways, turned away from God uh, in sin, God has never turned away from us and, and is not turning away from us now. A reading from the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, Chapter 2, The Gospel and Culture. Religion does not exist in a vacuum. It operates in a given culture at a particular moment in time. The understanding of a living God who has revealed a loving plan to save us takes place in real time. 
There is much in our culture that is good and favorable to faith and morality. The freedom to practice our faith is a treasured principle in our society. But there are troubling developments. Most history today is taught from a secular viewpoint such a prevailing attitude that it makes it hard for believers to realize there is a starting point in God's revelation for understanding human history. The culture in which we live is, in many ways, individualistic, secular, and materialistic. This poses a challenge to Christians and other believers who are asked to respond in faith to God who has revealed Himself. It often requires great patience and much virtue to live a faith-filled life, to hand on gospel values to children and others, and to interact with people, often the young, whose lives are affected by counter-Christian cultural currents. In many ways, attitudes and actions in the United States have forced a culture of disbelief. The First Amendment, which prohibits the establishment of a state religion, has been interpreted in such a way that it excessively marginalizes religion. Society has reached the stage in which people of faith are pressured to act publicly as though religion does not matter. This has caused many believers to think their faith is strictly a private matter and that it should have no influence on society and politics. The Church's response is to bring the gospel into our culture in order to build on what is positive in it and to change what is not. This is one aspect of evangelization, the proclamation of the gospel to all peoples. It assumes that we must be evangelized ourselves, calling each other to an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It means embracing truth, beauty, and goodness wherever it can be found in our society while at the same time removing falsehood and injustice from our land. We must remember that all is not darkness. There are rays of light in our culture shed by Jesus, the light of the world. There are seeds of the word in our society sown by Jesus, the tireless sower of love and truth. We do not work alone. The Holy Spirit is our teacher and guide. Culture change is slow, but it can take place through perseverance and God's grace. Evangelizers need a broad vision as well as wisdom, courage, fortitude, and perseverance. Evangelizing a culture relies on deep insight into the mysteries of our faith and a keen vision for understanding the basis of our culture. Culture is not just an abstraction. It is the sum of the beliefs, attitudes, and practices of individuals and communities. Evangelizing a culture means dealing with people. It involves more than persuading people of the truth of Christ in the church. Sharing the gospel with others means offering them its transforming power, not just for their minds, but also for their hearts. In our daily prayer, we need to lift up our fellow citizens and their needs to God's loving concern for them. The Catholic Church provides us with numerous ways to witness and teach the truth and love of Jesus Christ. Church history shows that the renewal of faith is frequently accompanied 
by a return to the truths of the faith and witnessing to those truths. Such a reward of faith will gradually influence our culture. That passing on of that message, that of the revelation of Jesus Christ to others, sometimes we have to remember that it's that the message that's being transmitted, sometimes the messengers have been broken, wounded, and the communication of that message by them can be received by others because they look at the person instead of what they're giving. And we've, we've struggled with that, but we also have that great revelation that tells us that we're forgiven and to forgive others. The, the, all those points are, are important, aren't they? Well, it's the Lord's plan. He, he could have um, created or, or formed the church in any way that, that he wanted to, but he's, he, as St. Paul says, he's entrusted this to us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are fragile. None of us uh, is perfect. Nobody outside of the Blessed Mother from the beginning of the church uh, has been, been perfect. So we know that sometimes our preaching or our practice of the faith, because of its imperfection, because of our own imperfection, rather, it can be a stumbling block to others. So we take responsibility for our ongoing conversion in Christ so that we might be more fit instruments to reveal him to others. But the wonderful thing about the church is that there's so many people and personalities and, again, so many ways in, I think, so that for someone who is genuinely seeking, they will be able to find a home in the church if we're at all interested in, in being welcoming and, again, admitting the church is for sinners, a place to find salvation and, and not for perfect people. Mm, beautiful. Archbishop Lucas, thank you so much. Thank you, Chris. My pleasure. You've been listening to the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas. To learn more about the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, go to usccb.org, the website for the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults with His Excellency, Archbishop George Lucas.